the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and you're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering Bible questions or life questions or pretty much whatever's on your heart and mind. I'll do the best I can to answer. All you have to do is call us. You can call 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, especially on these wet streets today, the safest way to do it is to use the free KSLR mobile app. You have one button to push. It says call now at the top of the screen, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. One more time, 340-9585. Wednesday is always a great day for me. It's the middle of the week, but uh, we have our Bible study tonight. I'm going to be teaching uh, in uh, the second half of Isaiah chapter 1 tonight. Um, Isaiah chapter 1, the first Bible study uh, I think was a really, really important one. And tonight, um, in the middle of all of the pain, God gives us great hope. So uh, that's tonight. Uh, obviously, Paula will be live in studio with me tomorrow on the date day edition of the program. So we'd love to have you tune in. And if you have any need for encouragement or any questions, ladies, that you want to address specifically to Paula, tomorrow is the day. Uh, let's get to some questions that have been sent in while we wait for phone calls. Uh, my first question is from our email inbox from Nacho. He says, when we are in heaven, even though we're going to be married to Jesus, uh, will we still work closely with our spouses and children? I would think that after spending our lives together as a family and as one flesh with my spouse serving God, that we would continue to serve God together in heaven as well. In that vein, will everyone at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio work closely together in heaven too? Or will we be scattered throughout the heavens on our own serving the Lord? Nacho, you know, one of the sort of frustrating things is that we're not given a whole bunch of details about heaven. Uh, We know there won't be any marriage, so Paula and I won't be married. You and your wife won't be married. Um, uh, But our relationship will be closer. You know, when the the Bible says, uh, what God has joined together, let no one, no man, um, tear it apart, tear asunder. Um, I think in heaven, God's going to make Paula hang out with me. God's going to make your wife hang out with you. Uh, and I think you will serve. Now, we don't know what kind of service that's going to be, uh, but we will for sure um, uh, be serving the Lord uh, with our family units. Our loved ones will be there. Uh, and um, again, what direction that service takes, there's no possible way of knowing. One thing that I constantly think about is that that 
when we stand together and receive our rewards, you know, I'm going to have this big cabinet open with crowns in it. It's going to be nothing compared to Paula's crowns. She shares in all of mine, plus all the ones that she's responsible for. And we're going to enjoy one another. Our love will be deeper. And while it won't be physical, sexually, uh, it'll be more intimate. We will love one another from a depth that's impossible for us to imagine here in heaven. I like the the, the inclusion of the World Calvary Chapel of San Antonio work together in heaven as well. Uh, I, I don't know that we'll be working together, but we will all stand together before the Lord. I tell this to the church um, with some frequency, Nacho. I fully expect that one day that um, I'm going to stand and the secrets of my heart are going to be laid bare before the people who called me their pastor. Uh, I think in some regard that's true of this radio audience as well. Uh, you're going to find out all about my motives. You're going to find out about whether or not I was faithful. It's one of the things that motivates me to finish better than I started. I also think that people in the church are going to stand and their hearts are going to be laid bare as well. I think all of that is part of the Bema Seat judgment at Christ. So, um, I believe we'll all have different areas, but but the families will stick together. Great question. I like thinking about those kind of things. Here's a question from our email inbox. This one from Kirby. Uh, Pastor Ron, I have two questions about the millennial kingdom. First is when we return with Jesus to rule and reign in the kingdom, will we be seen in our new glorified bodies? In other words, will we be corporal, corporal, or some way, or will we be more spirit? Um, Kirby, the first question is an easy one. We'll have physical, glorified, resurrected bodies just like Jesus. Now, we don't know for sure what that is or what it looks like. Um, John, who wrote that, um, saw Jesus' glorified body. Uh, it hadn't been crucified and resurrected yet, but he saw it. We know that after the resurrection, Jesus could appear um, instantly from one place to another. He could walk through a wall and show himself to Thomas. So our bodies are going to be like his, but make no mistake, they're going to be completely physical, but in our glorified resurrected bodies. It's also important to note that the people during the Great Tribulation who survive it and then go into the kingdom uh, in their flesh and blood bodies, the ones like we have, um, we will be ruling and reigning with or, or with Jesus over them in some capacity that we don't know about at all. But but we will be in a physical body just like his. Uh, the second question is this one. When we're in the millennial kingdom, will we be more like ministering spirits to the people or will we be more visible like an official or a magistrate with an office and things of that nature? I, I don't think we'll have an office, but we will be visible. Uh, they will know that we're there to judge them. Um, and I don't mean judge the way we think about judging, but when conflicts come up, we will be Jesus's eyes and ears. We're his ambassadors all over the earth. And our sin nature, of course, has been completely dealt with. Our, our flesh and blood bodies completely gone. So we have no more sin nature. And so we can perfectly represent uh, our Lord Jesus Christ during the millennial kingdom. But we will have roles. Again, there's very little detail given to us about what those will be but we will rule and reign with him, whatever that means. So we, we won't be like spirits. Uh, we will be people that they can see, that they can come to. And I really like the idea that um, we're going to be perfect in heart and mind on one accord with our Jesus. Thank you, uh, Kirby. I appreciate that very, very much. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here is a question from Amy. She asks, "Is it possible to be born with the wrong gender? Wouldn't that explain people feeling like they were born in the wrong body?" Uh, Amy, it's not possible. Now there are anomalies that happen, but we can't take the anomaly and try to make a general rule for it. The reason people 
feel like they were born in the wrong body, it's because they're not satisfied with themselves. They're rebelling against God. They're rebelling against being created in the image of God. And because they're rebelling against being created in the image of God, they're looking for something to fill that emptiness. And so it's always something else's fault or somebody else's fault. I'm not happy because I I think I was supposed to be born a girl or I think I was supposed to be born a a boy. Um, It's just not possible. Here is the thing. We are created with identity markers, chromosomes, DNA. And our sexuality is determined by our biology. Now, I understand people not being happy or people not being satisfied or even wishing, in some cases. I've talked to people who wish they were born uh, a different sex. But the way we can minister to them, Amy, is to tell them that they're always going to feel like something's missing apart from Jesus Christ. This whole idea of transgender that's just our world has gone crazy with we're creating a a class of people who have no identity and they're trying so hard to be someone they're not and anytime we try Amy to deny the reality of who we are what we were created to be to glorify God then we're going to be unhappy we're going to always feel broken mankind Every human was created to worship God. And if you're not doing that, then there's going to be emptiness. So, Amy, I hope that helps. Don't be won over by the conversation in the world that we live in. Let's go to Jimmy calling from San Antonio. Kelly, I'll get to you in just a moment. Jimmy, you're on the air. Can you hear me? I can hear you fine, Jim. Okay. Hey, um, Matthew 24, um, verse 14, it says that, the, it's something like the, the gospel we preach to every nation, and that's when the end will come. Something like that. Okay. What's your question? Well, is that is that like kind of like coming soon or what? Is you know, um, well, that's what God is talking to us about, right? Well, in in Matthew twenty four, Jimmy, this is the Olivet Discourse. And Jesus is speaking specifically to his disciples about Israel. He's not talking about you and me. Now, by extension, obviously, we're the conduits now that, that, that the, the gospel is going to be proclaimed for. But here's what he's telling uh, his disciples. Um, he's telling them that the gospel that he's charging them with the responsibility of declaring will be preached in the whole world. Everybody will see it. And then the end will come. The end is that moment described in Matthew, or I'm sorry, in Revelation chapter 19, uh, where Jesus returns, he destroys his enemies and ushers in his kingdom. Well, before that happens, before the end comes, the gospel of Jesus Christ is going to be preached to everyone. We've got the 144,000 Jewish witnesses, the evangelists who are sealed and protected. We're going to have the angels throughout the skies going back and forth declaring the gospel of Christ. Um, th- there's going to be no mistaking that everybody who rebels against God does so with the knowledge that that's what they're doing. And um, when he's talking to his disciples in the Olivet Discourse about the, what we call the Great Tribulation, um, he's he's just describing it uh, in detail. The next verse Jimmy says, when you see the, in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, uh, let the reader understand. And then what he does is he gives the signs and gives them instruction how to deal with that time in the end. So um, the, the kingdom of God will be preached in the whole world. Uh, there are still some places in the world today that are unreached. I think our, um, our missionary zeal to take the gospel everywhere is good but I think sometimes we misunderstand the context of this passage. Uh, we're charged with making disciples. That's that's the, the Great Commission. We're, we're, we're not told to go into the world and share the gospel. We're told to go into the world and create disciples. And we do that, of course, by sharing the gospel and then discipling the converts. And that's what the Church of Jesus Christ is supposed to do. 
Uh, but believe me, nobody will be uh, able to make excuses in the end because everybody will have seen the power of God, the glory of God. Everybody will have heard the everlasting gospel of God, including um, through the lips of Moses and Elijah for the first three and a half years of the Great Tribulation, uh, those who are most revered by the Jews. Jimmy, thank you. Appreciate the question very, very much. Uh, let's go to Kelly holding on line two. Kelly, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Thank you. Hi. Hi, Pastor Arbaugh. Um, I have one question regarding um, Revelation. And Kelly, it'd be easier for if you turn down your radio because we're on about a seven-second delay. Turn down the radio? Yeah, because we're on a delay. It'll confuse you. Okay. 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 Um, it's it's about the revelation when Jesus comes. Jesus comes and he's on a white horse, and there's a word on his leg. Is it, is there a word on his leg or something? It's on his robe and on his thigh. And what is that? What does it say? It says, "Lord of Lords and King of Kings." Kings of Kings. Okay, and he has a sword. Does, and he what has I a need sword. to know is what I'd like to know is does he actually? And you said it earlier with Jimmy, I think that he actually fights and destroys the demons. Well, it, yeah. Uh, but, but I Kelly, thought that in Revelation, when it talks about him being on the horse, that he says one word, and after saying that one word, everything stops. I mean, all the people will start bowing to him. Everyone will bow to, bow to him. I didn't. Okay, do you I can really explain. think he's going to be to fight? In in the in Revelation with the sword. Yeah, it's the sword is a is a picture. There's a lot of symbolism in Revelation chapter 19, and uh, the sword is is a death sentence. So what he's going to do, he's going to destroy his enemies. He's not just going to destroy demons. He's going to destroy his enemies with a word. It's, it's the, the powerful okay. word of God, the same word that created all things. So his enemies are going to die. That's the judgment of God. Um, the great okay. tribulation is a time of God's judgment being poured out. So he's not going to take his sword and fight, you know, like the old Vikings used to fight. Uh, he's right. going to destroy us. But, but the idea that he comes with a sword means that he's coming for the judgment. Uh, the, the wages of sin is death, uh, we're told in Romans. And because the wages of sin is death, uh, those who rebel against him, those who've taken the mark of the beast, are going to die. And they're going to die at Jesus' word. So it's not going to be much of a fight at all. Um, the Antichrist and his armies and then the armies from the east are going to come together uh, to fight one another. Jesus is going to appear and they're going to fight him, or at least they're going to try to. And in an instant, he will destroy them all. Uh, and he will come and establish his kingdom. But it's not going to be Jesus who uh, who fights, uh, because with God there's no fighting. He just will get his way. And from that point forward, he will rule and reign in righteousness. And you're right about one thing, Kelly. At that point, everybody who remains for the entire thousand years of the millennial kingdom, everybody who who survives will bow uh, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. And he will rule for 1,000 years uh, with what the Bible describes as an iron scepter. In other words, an immovable judgment of God uh, because he's perfect and anybody who wants to rebel against him is going to pay uh, with their lives for that rebellion against him. Does that make sense? Yes. And there won't be any more enemies trying to come after him will there like in those thousand well, years will there still be enemies or are they all no. going to be cast to hell well the, the the there there will be no more enemies 
um, uh, who can stand against him, trying to stand against uh, an all-powerful God is futile. Uh, However, and this is a hard thing for me to understand, Kelly, but at the very end of the thousand years, Satan, who will have been bound for the whole thousand years in a dungeon somewhere in the center of the earth, he's going to be let loose and he's going to lead one more revolt against God. And then uh, for for a short time, he's going to lead that rebellion. And then Jesus is going to come. And uh, uh, that's when the great white throne judgment happens. It's called the second death. And the people rebelled against him. Oh, and Satan okay. himself will all be cast into the lake of fire. Okay. 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 This, um, I have my husband here. He has one question for you. Okay. He he wants the verse um, Luke twenty one verse twenty four, verse twenty seven. I'm sorry. A man will come in the cloud, and that and that the son of man, the son of man will come in the, come down in the cloud with great power and great glory. Yes. The the Luke twenty one for your husband is uh, it's it's Luke's placement of the Olivet Discourse, the same one that Jimmy just asked about in Matthew 24. It's also, you're going to find it in Mark chapter 13. And when he says that at that time, um, uh, they'll fall by the sword, they'll be taken as prisoners, uh, Jerusalem will be trampled on by Gentiles until the times the Gentiles are fulfilled. And then he talks about the signs of all this, the signs in the sun and the moon, uh, men are going to faint from terror. Um, they'll see Jesus coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Uh, when all of that happens, will be that moment of absolute terror. Zechariah, the prophet, talks about this. He said, you know, the Jews who are alive at that time are going to look to heaven and, and see Jesus coming. They're going to see his wounds and they're going to say, where did you get these wounds? He's going to respond, I got these wounds in the house of my friends. And they're going to know they're responsible for rejecting their Christ, their Messiah, for putting him to death. Oh, and when it happens, uh, one-third of the Jews are going to repent and accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But this is the time uh, in in Luke 21, Matthew 24 and 25, and Mark chapter 13, where it describes the last seven years on earth. Let me comfort you and your husband both with this one thing. We won't be here to see these things because the rapture of the church will already have taken place. So we'll be with okay. Jesus uh, for our, our marriage supper with Jesus uh, while all of this is going on earth. And then when we get to Revelation 19 that you asked about first, we'll come back with Jesus uh, to rule and reign with him when he destroys uh, his enemies and sets up his kingdom. So would, if someone is raptured with at the time at, at the time that the that the rapture occurs is that person been judged already or do they still go through the judgment no when when jesus took our judgment for us so when right. we uh when when the rapture happens that kelly is our reward okay that's that's when in an okay. instant we'll be transported. Peter calls that so moment the goal in the book of our of salvation. Life at that time. Excuse we're me. Definitely in the book of life at that time. Oh, that's right. That's when we'll go. Now we'll receive rewards. We'll be judged for rewards, losing and and receiving rewards, but no judgment for salvation because Jesus took the judgment that you deserve and I deserve and even your husband deserved, right. and, uh, and we are perfect. going to be we're, we're going to be perfect. Okay. 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 Thank you so much. You helped a lot. Thank you. Thank you, Kelly. Great question. You know, I'm excited that people are asking questions again about the return of Jesus. You know, I think that's one of the prerequisites to um, to uh, revival in this country. I think as Christians, we need to get excited about the prospect of Jesus coming for his church. It's that moment we've all been waiting for. Uh, if you're walking with Jesus, if you're abiding with Jesus, um, it's the greatest moment in history. Uh, if you're walking in the flesh, walking in sin, 
um, then maybe being terrified is appropriate. But even Christians who are walking in sin are going to be raptured. Uh, They're going to have a lot to answer for. It's not going to be um, the glorious moment that we expect when we go to see Jesus. But then he's going to wipe away every tear. And he's going to welcome us into the family. And we're all going to find some sort of reward for things that we did with the right heart and for the right purposes. I can't wait for that time. I believe with all of my heart that a lot of the power in the New Testament church, a lot of the silliness, church growth, marketing techniques, uh, watering down the gospel, all those things are in large part due to the fact that we've stopped looking for the return of Jesus. He could come at any moment. I hope it's now. I hope I don't get to finish this radio program. Uh, Probably it's not going to happen right now. But we are to live every day in the presence of Jesus, for the glory of Jesus, waiting for that moment when we're with him again. No more pain, no more tears. When we're looking at that face shining like the sun in all of its brilliance. Kelly, I got goosebumps too. We've got 30 minutes left in the program. 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh we're back we've got 30 minutes left 340-9585 here's a question from amber she says both peter and judas repented for their betrayals of jesus why was peter forgiven And Judas wasn't. Well, Amber, we know that everybody who sincerely repents and asks to be forgiven is forgiven. So the key there is that Peter truly was genuine, sincere. Um, He denied the Lord. His heart, his life was crushed. And Jesus met him and restored him. Judas, on the other hand, uh, if you have a King James, it says he repented Uh, for what he'd done, but that isn't that he repented to God. That just means he was sorry for what he'd done, sorry that it didn't work out, and more to the point, uh, he had no way of knowing uh, how to deal with the guilt uh, as a result. But make no mistake, Judas was not repentant as we understand the need for repentance. He was just sorry that things didn't work out. Uh, He he betrayed innocent blood. Uh, That came from his own lips before the Jewish leaders. He, he threw the money back at them, uh, but but it was too late. He never went to Jesus, and he had the opportunity. Now, let me suggest two reasons why. One is that his heart by now was so hard, just like anybody who rejects Jesus continually, uh, for, for him it would have been even worse. His heart was so hard that even when Jesus gave him the opportunity, remember in the garden, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? Judas right then could have fallen at his face earlier in the upper room before Judas left the table, his hand in the sauce, dipping with Jesus. And Jesus tells him, what you do, do quickly. And he left to do it. He wasn't um, really repentant. His heart was hard. The second thing we know uh, is that Satan entered him at that point. A believer can't be demon-possessed. Satan entered him. Jesus describes him as the one who is doomed to destruction from the very beginning. So Judas wasn't really sorry, just sorry he got caught, sorry it didn't work out his way. Peter, um, great picture, Amber. Peter, you remember in John's Gospel, Uh, He and uh, John both uh, run to the tomb when they hear that the Lord's not there. I've seen the Lord, uh, Mary said. And they ran to the tomb. John outran Peter. John makes sure we know that he can run faster than Peter. But John, in sort of uh, 
maybe just a holy fear or maybe a, a, a moment of unbelief, stopped. He didn't go into the tomb. Peter, big old lumbering Peter, would, would, would come just right after John, and he just ran right in. The reason he ran in, because suddenly there would be that, that flicker of hope. Maybe I'm not doomed. And Peter would have been under satanic attack like no one probably ever except Jesus. Peter, Satan has asked for you by name, he said. And yet that Jesus was alive, that he wasn't there, was just that moment of hope. And Peter was going in. And he did. So there was a huge difference between Peter and Judas. Here is a question, anonymous. Oops, got a phone call first. Okay. Thank you. Let's go to line two, Cindy from San Antonio. Cindy, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. We've got these Hi, questions. Cindy. We've got these questions in Revelation, and it's got me wondering. Chapter twenty-one. I'm reading out a New King James, starting in verse one. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city. New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, that's part of my, my question about, uh, I thought we were already at the wedding feast, and, and then is, is this like a wedding ceremony? But also, I'm curious about a new heaven and a new earth. If you suppose that means earth that we have right now is not going to be physical, is it going to be like a spiritual Earth or something, and I'm wondering, everybody, I've got a call waiting, but I'm ignoring it. But anyways, if um, if we have all the people forever that, that are going to be saved and, and in heaven, wouldn't we have, have kind of like a bigger earth or something? And then, I'm trying not to complicate this, but I think I'm not, I think I'm getting complicated. Um, now, and then in 14, it says, now the wall of the city had 12 foundations. And then it goes on to describe the city. So I'm wondering if the city's physical or not. So there's my whole basket of questions, and I'll get off the <laughs> phone and answer. Thank you, Cindy. I can help you with that, I think. Um, a, a couple of things. When, when um, we see a new heaven and a new earth, uh, we have to remember that the um, old earth, as, and, and during the millennial reign of Christ on earth, um, the, the, there will be a restoration of the earth for sure. Um, but but Jesus' earth has to be perfect. That's the need for a new earth. Peter says that, that, the, that the earth, as we know it, will melt away. Uh, it'll just, just implode. Um, that's the need for a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, the new heaven is going to be connected somehow to the earth, not, not physically connected. Uh, but we're going to be able, where Jesus rules and reigns forever and ever from his throne in heaven, we're going to be able to go from earth to there and from there to earth. So it's it's really, really important. I love chapter 21. Now, before I start explaining some of this, Cindy, let me make sure you understand that when we go to be with Jesus in the rapture, uh, that's just for seven years. Um, the marriage supper of the Lamb is when we physically, literally marry Jesus. Uh, at the end of the seven years, we're going to come back to this earth with Jesus and he establishes his kingdom. So when we get to Revelation chapter 21, that is a thousand and seven years later. A thousand and seven years has passed and then it's time to make everything new. After the great white throne judgment, Everything is going to be made new, and Jesus will rule and reign. Um, regarding the city, there will be walls. It'll be a physical city, uh, but that's the city in heaven that we're speaking about, uh, where the gates, 12 gates, so that each gate will be one gigantic pearl, uh, where the streets are gold, all of that. But that's the place where Jesus lives, the place where we'll be able to go. Um so that's a literal city, a city that we'll be able to visit in our glorified, resurrected bodies at any time. Uh, but but we'll also be able to enjoy a new earth. Now, the one thing that uh, I don't understand, uh, I'm not a scientist, 
uh, but I don't understand it from an emotional level either, is that the, the new earth will be no seas. Now, we know that the sea, the salt in the sea, uh, is, is sort of a purifying agent. We also know that our rain comes from the ocean, the, 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 the weather that we experience. Um, depends on the oceans uh, in order to provide the the seasons and things. Well, uh, when Jesus is in heaven and we're there with him at the end of everything, we don't need rain from heaven. There'll be the water of life, the river of life. Jesus will provide everything. We don't even need a sun or a moon because Jesus is the light. He'll provide everything that we need. So, um, this is uh, a city um, that's better than the original. Think about the first city that was given, and I say that sort of metaphorically, uh, the Garden of Eden. It was perfect. Uh, it was a magnificent garden that was ruined by sin and death. Uh, in this new city, there will be no more death. There will be no more destruction. Only joy and triumph. So we have so much to look forward to. We can't imagine. You know, when Jesus made everything, he saw and said that it was good. And then he made mankind said it's very good. Uh, we can't imagine the splendor and the beauty of that original creation. I think it's very, very important. Um, then you asked, will the earth be able to hold all the people that God is bringing? Um, of course. Um, remember, we're going to be in glorified, resurrected bodies, heavenly bodies. Uh, so it won't be like there's not going to be apartment complexes and uh, it's not going to be anything like what we understand now. Um, the, the, the measurements of heaven are sufficient for everybody to be able to be there and visit. So uh, it's, it's going to be a, a creation that's impossible for us to comprehend. But it's going to be better than we've ever imagined. You know, we think, for instance, in this world of gold being uh, of such great value. Well, heaven is so glorious that the gold is going to be like asphalt here. Cindy, I can't wait. Thank you. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here is a question, the one I was going to get to earlier, uh, sent in anonymously. Uh, is divorce permitted in a physically abusive marriage? Uh, I'm glad you asked this because every time I get the opportunity on this program uh, to talk about this, I'm going to take advantage of it. Divorce is permitted in a physically abusive relationship not just marriage, but in any relationship uh, to any man or woman. And typically we think of this as women being abused physically. But anybody in a relationship who's being abused by their partner needs to get out of that relationship and get out of it now. Now, divorce isn't necessary, but separation is. Uh, on rare occasions rare occasions anonymous we have seen men who are physically abusive to their wives so transformed by the power of God that after a long time when that transformation became apparent to everybody that a marriage could be recommitted but no woman no man is to stay in a physically abusive relationship. God would never put you in danger. And so let me just emphasize one more time, anybody in this audience who is being physically abused by their spouse, you need to get out, and you need to get out now. It's true that God hates divorce, but he also hates this type of behavior. And especially to you ladies, some of you take it. It's one of the heartbreaking things of my life for the last 24 years. The number of women who are being abused by their husbands who will not leave, either because they think they deserve it or they think, well, my husband's really sorry. He's always sorry. Um, I'll never be able to understand 
what am I going to do? Where am I going to take the kids? It doesn't matter. You have to be alive to take care of your family. And abuse escalates. People don't change apart from the power of God. And even then, we wait a very long time to be sure. But yes, 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 divorce is permitted in a physically abusive marriage. Um, And the sooner, the better, uh, if in fact there is no repentance. You know, one of the things that's frustrating, we, we in the church have a tendency to make people feel guilty when they divorce. There are legitimate reasons for divorce. Physical abuse, I just said, is one of them. Adultery is another. Um, God doesn't want us to stay in a marriage just to be a whipping boy or whipping girl. He wants our lives to be rich and abundant. So last time, and I'll go on to the next question. If you are in an abusive relationship physically, you are in danger. And you need to leave. And you need to leave now. Not next week, next month, not when you get a paycheck. Now. Imagine the damage that's being done to your children who live in a home where they know a a dad is abusing their mom. That is in no, no way a place where God wants you to be. Just last week I had a a woman write to me and she said um, that uh, all of the relationships that she's been in have been abusive. She said, I just keep picking men who will, will beat me. And I can't tell you how that breaks the heart of God. I can't tell you how that breaks the heart of God. Let's go to San Antonio David on line one. David, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Hi, uh, David. First of all, say say hi to your wife to, uh, tomorrow for me. <laughs> I will do that. I always love hear, hearing you two guys together. Um, oh, thanks. Yesterday, yesterday you had a, a brother that called in and was asking why um, it always seems that Christians are on the downside of money and and people that don't believe in, in God or Christ uh, always seem to have all the money. <laughs> you remember that? I do. Okay, so I, I have, hopefully he's listening today. Um, I, I have this to offer. I am, um, I'm an older gentleman. My, my kids have left. Uh, they're married and gone. And I have been blessed with um, one promotion after another after another, and I'm making really, really good money. Um, and, I, and I don't say that to boast. I say that to say that the other end of having lots of money is a challenge as well because mm-hmm. I, I want to go out and buy a, a really expensive car, you know, $80,000, $70,000 car, but do I need that car? No. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't. And do I need a bigger house? No. Do I need really expensive clothes? No. So my wife and I, the Lord has challenged us to up our offering at our church and we have also begun to help other ministries outside of our church and also have helped people that we know need help, families. So with increased income, I, I believe if your heart's right and your mind's right and you're serving Christ, then you know that that's, that's his money anyway. And you pray and you ask, Lord, where do you want all this increase to go? It's not mm-hmm. just for a storehouse. You know, um, we are considering our children and once we're gone, you know, to leave them kind of in a better way, if you will. But mm-hmm. we're, we're not storing up grand storehouses for ourselves and um, buying extravagant things. We're seeing that the work of the Lord is, is really important and um, it, it's his money. So we seek yep. him on how to, how to take care of that. So I hope that helps him out to uh, understand that as well. Thank you. David, thank you very, very much. God bless you, man. That's a great testimony. You know, I, I think I think there's two things that that I can share here. One is is uh, we always have a perspective that is from Earth, and it just seems to us like it's the bad guys who are getting ahead. You know, we're constantly bombarded in the media with people, movie stars and rock stars, and we see the way they live and they make tons and tons of money, and we think, well, that just doesn't seem right when I'm struggling to make my bills. We 
read about a quarterback who who makes $25 million a year. I wish I was kidding there, but I'm not. Uh, and we think, well, that's just not fair. Um, um, but, but that's just perspective. I know, as David just indicated, uh, I know a lot of wealthy Christians. And the reason is, and, and, and consider what David just said as, as you listen to this. God knows that he can trust David with money. David and his wife are good stewards of what God has blessed them with. And what they have done is what every Christian should do, regardless of your financial situation. You should take that money and say, God, look at the money you've got. Now, I'm the the steward of this money, so what do you want to do with your money? David doesn't look at his money, and David's wife doesn't look at her money and say, this is my money, God. How much do you want me to give of my money? They understand that it all belongs to God. And the truth is, as David just indicated, when God can trust you with money, he's going to keep blessing you with more. Now, I'll go one step beyond what David said. There's nothing wrong with somebody who's very wealthy living like they're wealthy. Somebody wants a seventy dollars or $80,000 car and they can afford it, uh, and God permits it, that's between them and the Lord. There's nothing wrong with that. But, but it's what they do with their money as it relates to what God's asking them to do that makes all the difference in the world. And David really gets it. And as a result, he just happens to be blessed with promotion after promotion, no, that's God's plan. You know, when I went to Bible college, I had lost the considerable fortune that I had made. And, uh, sin is expensive. Uh, and I went to Bible college, and uh, I worked really hard. Paula worked really hard. And we got enough money where I could pay for one semester. At the end of that semester, when it came time to, to, to uh, re-enroll, and I didn't have any money, um, I went to the pastor of the Bible college and I said um, uh, I don't have the money for enrollment so I'm going to have to drop out and he said well don't drop out yet and l- let me see what I can do uh, and, and I didn't hear from him for a little while so I went back to him I felt like I was I was in school and I was sort of there dishonestly because I couldn't pay and I, I said to, you haven't gotten back to me he goes oh well that's taken care of I said what do you mean it's taken care of he said as long as you're here, your tuition and your room and board is paid for. Turns out later I found out that the source of my scholarships was a man who was a hundred plus millionaire. He'd been blessed by the Lord. And he told the, the pastor, his name was Larry, that, that I uh, went to. He said, if you ever know somebody who's really serving the Lord, you think they're They've got a calling on their lives, and if they need anything, um, just let me know. And so it was a rich man who made it possible for me to finish what God asked me to do. Uh, Somebody like David, who takes care of God's resources. Sometimes the man who's poor poor because he doesn't understand it's God's money. You know that guy who was a hundred millionaire plus, I don't know how rich he was, who gave me the scholarship. And he never met me. He just trusted what the pastor said to him. He said, you know, God's blessed me and I've got a shovel. I keep shoveling money out the front door. And then he said, God evidently has a bigger shovel and he keeps shoveling even more in the back door. So I just never run out. And and he that, that's a man who gets it. He really gets it. We've got time, I think, for one more question. Here's a question from Steve. Where was God when really bad things happened like the Holocaust or 9-11 or Catholic priests molesting children? Steve, God was seated on his throne at the right hand of the majesty of his Father in heaven, still bearing the scars from the moment when God told him no. God was the same place during the Holocaust or on 9-11 or when Catholic priests were molesting children. He's in the same place that he was when his son cried out, Father, 
If there's any way this cup can pass from me, nevertheless, thy will, not my will, be done. The Father said, no. My will is for you to die. I can never understand, Steve, why when terrible things happen, people blame God. God didn't kill six million Jews. God didn't fly those airplanes into the Twin Towers. Certainly God had no part of those Catholic priests as they were abusing children. And you could put in any other bad thing that happens. We live in a fallen world and it's sinful mankind, sinful human beings that are responsible for these bad things. And your position seems to be that God, if he's all-powerful, ought then to stop anything bad from happening. Let me explain that the first questions we got on the program today were about the Great Tribulation, the judgment. There is a time coming when God's going to stop every bad thing from happening. But in the meantime, he's patient, unwilling that any should perish. So look forward to the time when there's nothing but good, nothing but great and glorious. But that time's not now. And in the meantime, our responsibility is to tell everybody how they can escape the judgment. And make no mistake, Steve, bad things are going to keep happening because our world has so rejected God, so rebelled against God, that the harder and harder our hearts grow, the more evil we're going to see. And the evil things that we see in these last days, we were told that these kind of things are going to happen, and now we look around, and Jesus is the only answer. So perspective check here, Steve. He didn't even stop his own perfect son from dying. Hey, great program today. Thanks for calling. I appreciate it. Tomorrow, Paula will be live in studio on the date day edition of the program. Tonight, Isaiah, we're going to finish chapter one. May the Lord bless you and keep you. See you tomorrow. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is on every weekday afternoon at four. And Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The word to stand on for life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.